0: Yesterday morning, I, uh, I was on one of those honeydew runs, you know, so left the house pretty early and went and took care of a couple of things, and while I was out, I needed to stop by Lowe's, and um, so I did that, got what I needed, I was headed back out, and I could hear as I was walking out of the store the shrieks of a young child. Young in this case turned out to be, I'm guessing just by what I saw, was probably three years old, four maybe. And uh, this little girl. (laughs) So did that get your attention? (laughs) Um, Do I need to switch mics? Nope? Okay. (laughs) Maybe you'd prefer I just sit down. Uh, (laughs) So uh, this little girl, as it turns out, was having none of this whole idea of her mother telling her what to do. And she was screaming. And, And I found myself, based on the times in which we live, I found myself, as several other people in the parking lot were doing, I found myself stopping and looking and trying to decide, is this a young girl being kidnapped? Or is this a young girl who needs to be taught the way of the Lord by her parents? (laughs) The world in which we live today is a danger zone. When I was in the business of raising my three children, I tried to help them understand just how important it is for them to maintain a perception of what's going on around them. I tried, especially with my daughter, I tried to help her understand that it's not enough for her to walk through life looking this way and not paying attention to anything. You need to always be aware of what's going on around you. Now, we're not paranoid because people are really after us, but uh, I'm just kidding about that. But it's important, especially for those of you who are parents of young children, this world is in many ways a danger zone. We don't need to be paranoid about that, but we do need to be aware of that. And so I told my daughter, in no uncertain terms, you make sure that you're aware of what's going on around you. Her brother's picked up on that enough that uh, even today when I'm around them, they're, they're constantly scanning to see what's happening around them. I think that's pretty wise. I, the, the danger zone part of this extends into the church. Now, not this church, but it extends into the church. And so when I deal with many young ministers who are trying to figure out how to get their legs under them in ministry and in local churches, and, and, and they come and they say, here's what's going on, and I have this meeting, and I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. And uh, one of the things that I tell them is you need to be aware of what you're going into And because it can be a danger zone, you need to make sure that you don't get into any situation but that you have your spiritual armor fully affixed to you. That's a whole different sermon series. So let me take that one last step and bring it to myself. One of the phrases, I actually learned this off of a movie. It was not a movie that was Christian, I don't think. Um... But at the very end of it, there was this, and I've quoted this before, but now you know why. I try to go into every day understanding the spiritual warfare that's around me so that from time to time I pause and I say once more into the fray to fight the best fight I have ever known, to live or die on this day. I don't want you to get paranoid about what's going on around you, but I do want us all to understand that the life that we call the Christian life is lived out in the danger zone. It is spiritual warfare as we walk through life, and as we come into this study of the Beatitudes, I want to take just a handful of minutes today, and we're going to have to pretty much fly through this because we get to have a business meeting at the end of this service, but as we come to this, I just want to, if, if I can establish this truth today that when we live the life that Jesus has laid out for us, when we come to this tail end now, the final installment of this study in the Beatitudes and how it Provide steps for us in our Christian growth and development. We're in the second half where we are dealing with the, those conditions that are applied into our lives with other people. That it is a dangerous zone for us. Jesus does not give us cause to step back from that. In fact, he nudges us or shoves us if he, if he has to. Into the danger zone in our dealings with other people. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, we read this Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In our text for today, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Two last pieces of this steps that we're talking about, this process of moving deeper into our relationship with God, and by extension, moving deeper into the danger zone of ministry with other people. The first one we look at today is verse 9, blessed are the Peacemakers. Now we have to exercise a little caution when we come to this discussion because this word peacemakers only occurs here in the entire New Testament. It is as if Jesus made up a word. That should not surprise us too much. Lesser men of God than Jesus have done that. We find that Paul regularly creates new words in order to capture some of the truth of the Christian life. So Jesus takes this idea of peace and puts, puts the concept together in such a way that he doesn't find a Greek word that will communicate that or an Aramaic word that will communicate that. So he just makes one up. Peacemakers. Before I say what it does mean or what we think it means at least, let's be sure and establish very quickly what it does not mean. Jesus is not advocating pacifism from Christians. There are entire denominations who have built part of their doctrine around the idea that Jesus somehow teaches that peacemakers mean they don't ever have anything to do with conflict, especially armed or political or military conflict that is not if you get that at all from Jesus you don't get it from this verse so that's what it doesn't mean what might it mean and how might that help us out so for those first century listeners to Jesus they're on that uh, that natural amphitheater around the northern part of the Sea of Galilee as they heard this undoubtedly they would have considered Jesus as he's talking about peacemakers and thought maybe he's referring to something like these Roman legions. Rome who had conquered and occupied what we would call modern day Israel, uh, they were known for the peacekeeping That they did, ruthless in many cases. The whole thing of crucifixion was one of the things that the Romans brought into a situation to make sure that they ensured that there was peace. Nobody would want to go through that. And so they instigated that and instituted that as a way to keep the peace, at least to win the mental part of that battle with people. That might be what they were thinking. Jesus seems to have something else. In mind for that, we go back to the Jewish mindset, and, and all of those people who would have been gathered there, deeply rooted in their Hebraic faith, would have undoubtedly considered this word peacemaker as coming from that, that uh, Hebrew word that we often use. We just pull it into English and we use it like it's an English word it's the word shalom. But we must understand that the word shalom does not mean the absence of conflict like we often want to make it mean. It does not mean that there's no military endeavors going on there. As a matter of fact, what the word shalom really communicates is that the entire part of your life is rounded and whole and complete. There's no need there, there's no lack there, there is no conflict within yourself. Consequently, it allows you to have no conflict or at least minimize conflict with those people around you. That's a gross reduction of what the term means just for the time that we have today. But undoubtedly, that's behind what Jesus is saying. And if we were to progress, and I don't have time to go back through it today, each one of those Beatitudes and the first four Beatitudes deal with our relationship with God. And the idea is that as we work through those four and we take these steps deeper into spiritual vitality, then that idea of shalom becomes part of who we are. As we're closer to him, he in turn transforms us within to be more like Jesus Christ and more in line with the life that he offers us. That's the first four. It only makes sense with the other two on the back half of these that we looked at last week, that as we grow in our investment into other people based on our relationship with God, that as we do that, we begin to find ourselves in the danger zone of relationships that are broken. So the peacemaker is another one of those steps that helps us to understand that we take all that God has done in us and we make it available into those who are around us. Can I just say it this way? There is no such thing as a Christian who has strictly a private faith. That is contrary to the nature of Jesus Christ himself. Oh, you better have some kind of private understanding, private experience where you and God commune on a regular basis and he is constantly transforming you on the inside, but you cannot keep it to yourself. And when you step out into that danger zone where there are broken people, messy to be sure, but broken and some of them excel in breaking other people, that you step in With an understanding of the fullness and the wholeness of this life that God has given to us. And we push it out. We work to bring about peace in our circles. So let me just pause for a moment. Who is it that's in your circle? I talk about this a lot when it comes to evangelism because I think that we've trumped up and made evangelism something that really is kind of a hit squad for Jesus and we we identify people in our church who don't mind going and talking to somebody about the Lord and so then we push them out. We even give them names and say, here, go talk to my friends for me. That is not the Jesus way, just so you know. Now, he did send them out, so it's not that we're doing it wrong, but if that's all we're doing, we're missing a primary responsibility that we have as Christ followers. And so we take the peace of God, the shalom of God, and we wear it out into the danger zone with people. And we take that peace and make it available. So what's involved in that? Let me just make a couple of comments and then I'll move to the other one, and we'll finish today. We have to understand that this is this is not possible in our own strength. My brother was always a rounder. You understand that term? My brother was just he was he was the fix, looking for a fight. He, he would, Teresa told me when we first started dating. She said, "Ooh, your brother scared me in high school." And I thought, well, he scared me too. But he, you know, he was that guy walking down the hall just daring anybody to bump into. And as he got older and he started understanding something about God's calling in his life, he began to be more of a defender of people who were being abused by other people. That's kind of the idea, but let's take that a little bit further here. This is a divine characteristic In other words, in order for you to be a peacemaker like this, you need a God move in your life. You you don't just decide someday, all right, preacher said I need to step into the danger zone, so I'm going to take my machete, oh, excuse me, my sword, and I'm going to go out and I'm going to beat people in the head with it until they get it right. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's not Jesus' way either. It comes from a transformation. You can't be a peacemaker until you're a peace receiver. And so God creates that in our life, and sequence matters here in the Beatitudes. I said that last week. I'll say it now. We're at the tail end of this. Jesus did not start with, okay, so blessed are those who go out and make peace. One of the reasons I think he did not start there is because there is no peace in your life if you have not reached that point of poor in spirit where you recognize you bring very little, if anything, to this relationship with Jesus Christ. And little by little, he makes us and he remakes us and he transforms us and we begin to take on the character of Christ. And as we do that and as we grow, we, we, we grow closer to him, become more aware of the danger that's out there for other people. Here's what I think that might look like. I'll finish this with a simple question. We have some people in our church, and I'm not trying to single them out here, but we have some people in our church who are dog sitters. Now, they might call themselves house sitters, but the one that we use, a young man in our church that we use, on a, Teresa and I are going to be out of town. Teresa's dogs need supervision, And so we call this young man and say, hey, we're going to be out of town. Could you possibly? And so he comes and even though he goes through with his life and he works and he goes to school, he still comes and he stays at our house and he is a dog sitter. We have other people in our church, business people who do that. If you're looking for that kind of service, I can point you some people. I'm not trying to advertise their business here. What I am trying to do is use this as a great example. I would never, never, never hand the keys to my house To somebody that I did not trust so when we bring this young man in and we say here's the key these dogs are now your responsibility (laughs) (laughs) you can be sure that we have implicit trust in this young man okay would people trust you to keep their dogs Let me ramp it up. Do people trust you to take care of their heart? Because a peacemaker works from a foundation of trust rooted in a relationship with Jesus that is transforming us, and they reach out to those people who need some heart help. So, is your character such? That people trust you with their heart. This is a God move. If you're gonna be a peacemaker at all, it has to come from God's work inside of your life. Let me just add one other thing to that. The world is a messy place, and it's a dangerous place, and in a crowd like this, undoubtedly, there are dozens, maybe hundreds of situations where there's turmoil in your life. So peacemakers, if they're anything at all, are people who do not introduce turmoil into other people's lives. (laughs) You know, I could write a book, a preacher's view of turmoil in the lives of church members. You know, some people so love conflict and turmoil that if there's not some going on at the moment, they will create it so that they can feed off of the energy that comes with that. That typically is a person who does not reflect the beatitudes that Jesus teaches. I knew it'd get quite there, so let's move on. The last one, Jesus says, "Blessed are those, are blessed, are the, are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake." I'm going to stop right there. We have a we have a bit of a structural problem here, and I don't have time to explain it all. But some people would say that verse 10 is a beatitude, the eighth one, and then verse 11 is the ninth beatitude, and then they don't know what to do with verse 12. I'm going to suggest to you, after significant time spent <laughs> studying through all this and poring over it and analyzing it myself, I believe, and there's great grammatical reason and otherwise, uh, for us to see that the, actually the eighth and the final beatitude is in verse 10, Verse 11, even though it has the word blessed in it, has a totally different structure than all of the other eight Beatitudes. And on top of that, there's a reason internally in this that ties the first one and the last one together, and that's in the back part, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I believe that Jesus intended the last Beatitude as we know it to be verse 10. That's number eight, but verse 10. And verses 11 and 12 then give a transition into the thesis of the whole Sermon on the Mount, which follows in verses 13 and following. So the Beatitudes end at verse 10, and then there's this transition that he says, building off of this idea of persecution, and then he goes into the thesis of the Sermon on the Mount in verses 13 and following, where he says, you can't be like the religious authorities are and be what I'm calling you to be. So we can talk about that more in private if you want to know more of the reasons, but that's why I take it the way that I do. Verse 10, now seems, okay, this is one of those things you go, this is kind of antithetical, isn't it? Blessed are you when you're persecuted. We don't normally, unless there's something weird about us, we don't normally say, yeah, you know, I got beat up today. It was such a great experience. What is Jesus saying with this? I would suggest to you that what he's saying with this is that even though the only life worth living is his life, even though when you live out the the principles that are taught in these Beatitudes and then later in the Sermon on the Mount, even those things are all in place and you would expect people to love you to death because of your character that is divine in its reflection. Jesus says, don't make the mistake of thinking that just because you get all the other Beatitudes right, that people won't hurt you. That's interesting. We look at Jesus' life and we see evidence of the fact that he was the most winsome person ever. People could not get enough of him. In that northern region of Galilee, those who are going to Israel in a couple of months now, we'll, we'll go up through that northern part of Galilee where most of Jesus' ministry happens, and it'll give you a tangible perspective of all these people from that region just coming to wherever he was. Yeah, he was winsome. He, he was someone people wanted to be around, but he's also one that the religious leaders turned against And actually, worked to his death. Don't make the mistake of thinking just because you're walking with God and being transformed by Him that everybody's gonna love you for that. We could go into the book of Acts, I could talk about that, don't have time. So let me close this way. As it turns out, spiritual vitality is a dangerous endeavor, it is not for the faint of heart. The focus for the contempt of Christian people must be the righteousness that they reflect. In other words, don't be a jerk and go out there and beat people in the head with a Bible. Of course they're going to respond to you. There's enough danger in spiritual warfare that we don't need to haul off and just be reckless. Reckless. Blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I'll say it this way. At the end of the day, if you decide to take a stand for Jesus Christ, somebody's going to take a shot at you. You willing to do that? Is it worth it? Yes. Let's pray. Father, we... Recognize there's so much more that needs to be said here. We come and we take what we've heard, what we've seen in this text, and we pray that you'd help us to live it out. Give us that hunger and thirst for you that is all-consuming, and then give us the courage that we need to face the battle once more into the fray to the best fight we could ever know. The fight for people's souls. The fight for your kingdom's advancement. May we be those people that you count on in your kingdom's work. And Father, for those who are here today that don't understand that, don't know that, but they can't get away from that inner voice even now that's saying you need this. We pray that you would draw them that this would be a time when they find Jesus in the fresh way of salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Just as I am without one